Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. And I am going to be talking about something that I started to talk about a little bit yesterday when we did our worldwide prayer cast. If you haven't seen that, I have a link of it on my Facebook page where we brought together amazing leaders from around the world that are focused on completing the Great Commission. I was really happy to be able to share some space with individuals like Heidi Baker, who I've worked with in the past, and it was great that she was on there. She was contributing to this worldwide prayer focus for completing the Great Commission. In addition to that, there was another guy on there. He's one of my heroes. He's just an amazing guy. If you haven't heard of him, his name is David Eubanks, and he leads a group called the Free Burma Rangers. And this group is awesome. Uh, I first heard about them when I first started working in northern Thailand in the early 2000s. And David Eubank, the founder of Free Burma Rangers, is from the U.S. Army. He was a ranger. He was in special forces. And when he got out, he ended up going through seminary and given his life, he and his family now live on the mission field. And what they did is they started to focus on taking the gospel to the Korean people in the northern part of Thailand, as well as providing them aid. Now, I don't want to get too deep into this just because my knowledge is not that acute on the whole situation with Burma. We work in Burma. I've been there quite a bit. Um, I was there there when they refused to allow foreigners to use uh, cash. You had to buy chits. And it's a really complicated situation. But one way that you can actually learn more about the situation with the free Burma Rangers is by watching Rambo. It's one of my favorite. I'm sorry. I know Christians aren't supposed to like movies like that, but I grew up as a kid. I loved Rambo. In fact, I had a sleepwalking problem when I was when I was uh, a kid, and I slept walk a lot. I talked a lot. It was something I kept a secret when I joined the military. They don't like sleepwalkers. You're not supposed to. If you have a problem with sleepwalking, uh, they will not allow you to join the the Marine Corps. Uh, And one of the main reasons why they don't want you, you know, just getting up and grabbing weapons and shooting. I didn't really have any incidents when I got older, but I used to do a lot of sleepwalking when I was a kid. True story. We used to have what was called Double Feature Friday on HBO uh, Friday nights. And I loved Sylvester. He was like all the Sylvester Stallone movies were like the best ever for me. That when I was a kid... Those were my favorite. Cobra, Rocky, um, Rambo, you know, anything that had Sylvester Stallone. I really loved those movies. And I, I was into the 1980s shoot 'em up, bang 'em up, blow 'em up movies. So, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger and um, Sylvester Stallone. My wife absolutely hates Sylvester Stallone. But I was watching Double Feature Friday and they had. Cobra and Rambo on one night 
And uh, during the summertime, because my room was upstairs and we didn't have air conditioning. And so um, my parents also had their room upstairs and they had a fan. They had a couple fans and they kept them in their room. So on really hot summer nights, I would go and sleep on the floor in their room. And what my parents would do is they would keep a, a fan in their window to kind of bring in the night air into their room. And so we only had a couple fans. And so all of us kids, there were four kids. I have three younger sisters. And so we'd all sleep on my parents' floor when it got really hot upstairs. We didn't have any bedrooms downstairs. And my parents remember that one night, right after I'd watched the double feature Friday night with... Um, Cobra and Rocky, or I'm sorry, Cobra and Rambo. So it was Rambo. I think it was like First Blood. And I think I was maybe 10 or 11. And during that time, uh, anytime you would go to a street fair, you could buy a survival knife. And the survival knife was basically based on Rambo's knife. These are really cheap, crappy, made in Taiwan knives. If you put them into anything and moved it back and forth. You'd bend the blade, break off the handle. They were really cheaply made, but they were super cool. They had like this, this uh, edge at the top that was made for like cutting fences, but it didn't really do anything. It was also like a saw, so you could take the, the knife and turn it upside down and saw through small little um, branches or whatever. So that was really cool wasn't sharp at all. It had a blood groove that if you, you know, supposedly if you um, stab something, you know, the blood would come out to the side. When I was a kid, we would make a big deal out of all this stuff. Oh, dude, look, it's got a blood groove. You know, I'd show all my friends. <clears throat> the coolest thing, though, is it had a um, <clears throat> compass on the top. And the, the compass on the top of the knife, so it was at the end of the handle, had this compass and you screw it off. I'm explaining this for people that didn't grow up in the 80s. <laughs> Maybe you're listening to, from another country and you have no clue what I'm talking about. This was, this was a big part of my childhood. You wanna know what made me into the person that I'm, I am today? Look at these movies and this, you know, cause I grew up in the, I grew up in the forest. So I would, you know, have my knife just my knife, no joke. And I would go out to the woods, the forest, the river, and I would live for weeks at a time, especially during the summertime. My parents didn't see me during the summer. I would go and I didn't have any money. So if I had any money at all, or if I could get money from my parents, I would only buy one thing. All I needed was one thing, mustard. Like if I bought mustard and I had my knife, I'd go camping for long periods of time because inside of that knife handle had all kinds of stuff. So I had fishing equipment, never used it. I had a fishing pole, so I used that. I also went jug fishing, but I would use it for jug fishing, trot line, I'd run a trot line. A trot line is this line that you go run across the river and you put, you can put, I put bait on it and then you just let it run all night and then in the morning or throughout the day or throughout the night, uh, you go out to, to your trot line, you just run it and see if there's any fish it caught on. The other thing I used to do is jug fishing where you just take a line uh, attach it to an empty milk jug, put bait on it, and then follow it down in the morning down to the dam where it would get stopped and just look for your jug. And at the end of your jug, most of the time there was a fish. So you could catch a lot of fish. So all I needed was mustard because I lived off fish all summer long. And then when the apples would come, when the fruits would come, then I would be able to you know have that and add it to my diet. But it was this knife 
that made it possible. I was so in love with this knife. So inside of it, you had fishing gear. You also had like a line that you could use for doing saw. You could saw things using this line with like two rings on the end. You put your fingers in, move it back and forth on the branches. You could cut through the branches. You had waterproof matches, which absolutely never worked. Um, there was just a lot of really cool stuff inside of this knife. Well, I also slept with it. And so on this double feature Friday night, I ended up knocking the fan out of the window in my sleep in a two-story window with a knife in my underwear, jumping out the window. My parents thought somebody was breaking in. My mom, you know, sees somebody down the ground. My parents go downstairs. They open up the door and there I am standing in my underwear, completely unaware of what just happened, having my knife. Anyway, if you've never seen a Rambo movie, now's your time. Because I think it's Rambo 5 where um, they actually show Rambo taking missionaries into northern Burma to help the Karen people, which are being persecuted by the government of Burma. That story is almost the real-life story of David Eubank. He is the man. He takes armed patrols of former rangers, marines, special forces, and then they go in and provide medical aid, dentist, uh, dental equipment. Uh, they bring in doctors, nurses, dentists, and they provide support for the Korean people. I think it's absolutely awesome. They did the same thing in Iraq. Uh, I mean, he was going in gunfire, carrying out, you know, he's got this picture of him carrying a kid that, you know, just been shot. He is an amazing, there's this movie about his life called Free Burma Rangers. I haven't seen it yet, really want to see it. They played it for free on Friday night, but I wasn't able to watch it because it's 9 a.m. and we're like, you know, six hours or 9 p.m. So it had been 3 a.m. my time. Are you kidding me? I'm in bed by 8, 8.30. That's how my adventurous life of going from jumping out a window with, you know, a, a Rambo knife in my hand, you know, I ended up growing up to be an adult that's in bed by 8.30. No double feature Friday nights for me for HBO. Anyway, an amazing time. Absolutely loved doing that prayer cast together with my friends. But when I was on the prayer cast or when I introduced the prayer cast, I did it on a Facebook live video, just very short. And, um, and I asked people to pray. And I also shared something that I thought was really important. Um, and I think that I wanted, I was thinking that I wanted to make a podcast just to give you guys an update about what's going on. Because if you have taken your eyes off of China, you're making a huge mistake because something big is happening. It, I think, is something that we're not really noticing because of the coronavirus. And so the coronavirus has taken our eyes off of what's happening with China, and China knows this. They know that they have this moment of distraction from the rest of the world, and so they are moving, and they're moving fast. So what we see is that China and the U.S. are coming to a head. Whenever, throughout history, whenever you have a superpower, right now the world only has one superpower, the United States. It's been that way since the fall of the Soviet Union. Since the fall of the Soviet Union, we've had one major player. 
And whether you like the United States or not, I guarantee you that that is much better being in a world where the United States is the sole superpower than what it would be if the sole superpower in the world was the Chinese Communist Party. The Chinese Communist Party wants to be a superpower. Whenever you have a country that wants to be a superpower and a country that is a superpower, you're going to have problems if the country that wants to be a superpower actually has the ability to become a superpower. Now here's the challenge. China has been able to build up their military for several years. And what they've done is they've sent many of their citizens to the United States to be trained by the U.S. military. So if right now my son goes to a senior military college, my background's in the military, I've shared that before. Most of you know, if you haven't uh, heard that before, I'll go ahead and let you know. My background is in the U.S. military. My son is training to be an officer in the United States military. And as he's going through his officer training, he is in school with Chinese citizens. And I've seen this, so I, you know, at Norwich, which is the oldest private military college in the United States. I've seen this at Virginia Military Institute. I've seen this at the um, uh, Citadel. Wherever you have this private military training, you also have Chinese students. And the Chinese students are learning how to become military officers at these facilities. And so China has been preparing for a while. They've been sending in their students into the highest areas of tech, science, technology, engineering, in addition to their military training. And they're bringing that back to their nation to train up their nation to challenge the United States. And so what we have seen is that, okay, China wants to challenge the United States, blah, 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 doesn't really matter, right? Well, now China's actually on a collision course with the United States and it does matter. Because now inside of China, we are hearing more now than ever an anti-foreign sentiment where Chinese citizens are crying for the death of foreigners, wanting foreigners to be killed. Foreigners are starting to feel aggression from normal citizens on a regular basis. Is this happening everywhere? No. You can have people that have been living in Kunming Beijing, Guilin, Shenzhen, Guizhou, and say, Eugene, I live there. Eugene, I haven't seen anything but love from my friends. Okay. But I actually travel around China on a regular basis. So I don't live in one place in China. I have a little bit of a different perspective because I've spent a lot of time in a lot of different areas working with a lot of different people that are in different sectors. And so what that does is that gives me a 30,000, 40,000 foot view. You might have a very close view and can give information that I can't about details where you're at. But that 30, 40,000 foot view is extremely important when looking at the overall picture of the sentiment that is growing undoubtedly and arguably inside of China. So what we are seeing right now, I think we are also starting to see in the West. So it's not just the Chinese that are becoming anti-foreign. There are Western nations that are starting to be anti-Chinese. We're seeing rhetoric changing in the United States. We're seeing rhetoric changing in Sweden. We're seeing, seeing the rhetoric changing in the UK. 
where China is no longer being trusted, especially with the numbers that they pulled out for the coronavirus. Where they got those numbers and they pulled them out of their butt, who knows? But we do know one thing. Those numbers are not real. They're fake. They're as phony as a $3 bill. There's nothing real about them. But China plays the game and everybody else plays the game along with China because nobody wants to make China upset. It's kind of like China right now in the world is a little bit like the big bully that everybody laughs at his stupid jokes, not because they're funny, but because they want to make the bully happy so they don't get beat up. And what you're starting to see is certain Western countries that are like, wait a minute, this is not right. We don't like what China is doing. Now, here's the thing to know. The things that I'm sharing about China is extremely important to separate from what I believe with the Chinese house church. The Chinese believers, the Chinese Christians, the Chinese people are absolutely phenomenal. They're hard workers. They're family lovers. They're honest, amazing people. It's the Chinese Communist Party that is corrupt to the core. It's the Chinese Communist Party that I'm talking about when, it, when looking at the, the road of collision between the U.S. and China. The Chinese underground house church members that I work with, they love foreigners. The Chinese underground house church, the people that I work with, they absolutely love and are dedicated to the nations that sent missionaries to them, that died on their soil, that shed their blood so that they could hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They are appreciative. Anybody that's heard Brother Yun talk about foreign missionaries will know that he is appreciative for all of the missionaries and all that they did over the years for China. But the Chinese Communist Party has been from the very beginning anti-foreign. You want to talk about racism. Uh, you want to talk about a really dangerous fascism. Well, fascism and communism are not the same. Yeah, actually, they're pretty darn close. Fascism goes in and takes over companies that are owned by the state. It, it, there is so many similarities between communism and fascism that it's not easy to distinguish the two. You have to start making lists of what makes them different because what makes them similar are endless. But what we see with the rise of communism, both in the Soviet Union and in China, is that it is racist to the core. It is nationalist to the core. Nationalist in the way of not proud. It's, it's good to be proud Chinese, right? They can be proud Chinese. They can be proud Russians. They can be uh, proud Filipinos. That, that's, that's a part of nationalism that we all not just accept, but admire. I'm talking about a racist nationalism. That's what exists inside of China. And it's hardcore. Of course it's hardcore. It's based on evolution, survival of the fittest. If you don't survive, it's because you're not fit and you didn't deserve to be. Why waste resources on an unfit race when they should be used for those that are advancing? That is survival of the fittest, evolution. That is communist atheism. 
Atheism is an essential element of communism. The two are absolutely inseparable. That's why whenever you find a communist country, you find Christian persecution. But what we have been seeing during this coronavirus and why I think a lot of news outlets are missing because most nations right now are focused, laser focused on stopping this pandemic from taking over their country, destroying their economy and killing their people. But one nation is not as focused on stopping the virus. One nation, China, has been using this time as a distraction to move their military in the greatest, the biggest, the most important shipping waterways in all of Asia, in the South China Sea. And what we have seen is that China has been making extraordinary claims on areas that have been in dispute for a while, but now China's moving in their military to actually seize the opportunity to take over these islands. Now, if they go unchallenged, there's going to be big disruptions around the world and a very big problem because these shipping lanes that are in the South China Sea that are closer to other countries than they are to China, but China claims that they belong to them. You're talking about about $5 trillion of all shipping. You're talking about one third of the world's shipping. Now think about this. One third of all shipping containers in the world go through this passageway in the South China Sea and have for generations. But now China is making military claims. And when they make military claims, what they are doing is they are claiming authority over all resources, including transportation. Their big focus is oil. Their big focus is to move in and take over the oil so that they can extract the oil and use it for themselves. Their other focus is to restrict the waterway for all international shipping, especially as it pertains to the United States military that have been using those waterways for years. Those waterways come way too close to China for China to feel comfortable for the U.S. military to use them freely. So what they have done is they've been trying to lame, lay claim to these areas. And what we have found is that China has these areas. What the, so let me, let me try to, I, you're listening to a podcast, so let me try to lay it out for you a little bit, okay? If you look at the South China Morning Sea, or South China Morning Sea, I'm thinking of the South China Morning Post. If you look at the South China Sea, what you find is that you have these Asian islands that kind of make up the bulk of the area. So when you look at the South China Sea, to the east, you have the islands of Japan and Japan, which is kind of this big island, really. So Japan is really this big island kind of in, on the, the eastern border of the South China Sea. And then a little bit closer to China, in between Japan and China, you have Taiwan, or it used to be called Formosa. And then to the south, when you start moving into the south, you get into the Philippines and Indonesia. You start moving a little bit westward. If we keep clocking westward, what we get to is Brunei. And Brunei has the, the southern part of that border, the southern part, the southern border of the South China Morning Sea, the South China Seas are um, 
uh, Philippines, Indonesia, Brunei, and then you come to the western border of the South China Morning, I keep saying South China Morning Seas, South China Morning Post, you, I think, might owe me some royalties because I keep bringing up your name. It kind of rolls off the tongue naturally. You're my favorite newspaper in the world. South China Morning Post, by the way, if you live in Hong Kong, you go through Hong Kong. Even if you don't live in Hong Kong, you want to keep up on China news, go to South China Morning Post. They're the best newspaper, especially as it pertains to China ever. Absolutely love those guys. On the western border of the South China Sea, you have um, Vietnam and Malaysia. So this is kind of the area, and all of these countries have a dispute now with China because China basically says, we own all the water up to your beaches. And we're talking about, we're talking about nations that are several hundred miles away from China. So China is saying that we own several hundred miles of ocean, our land. But see, if you look at China ending at their sea, then a few hundred miles away from the, the, the border of China, you have open waters, international waters, which is everybody's free to roam. But if there is land masses in those waters, then China can say the water between that land mass and our beach is a continuation of our beach. You, you, if I have an island that is out in the ocean. You can't drive. You can't drive your boat and say it's international free waters if you're separating us from our island. You're coming in between our uh, our nation and our islands. So if China can establish land masses in the middle of these oceans or claim there there are islands that are there now, and if China can claim them, basically what they do is they effectively move their border from their beaches to the beach of that island and everything in between. And that's what China wants to do. That's why just last week what we saw was the U.S. military moved in their ships in order to confront China, which is taking over islands close to Malaysia. This is why also when we saw a, an admiral in the U.S. Navy, this is a big deal. Now, if anybody that's been watching the news, I think it was around March, the, around March, the end of March, uh, beginning of April, somewhere around through that time frame. I'm not looking at it right now, but there was an admiral who announced that he had COVID-19 breaking out on his ship and his men needed help. That admiral was relieved of duty. And the way that it was reported in the news was an admiral speaks the truth and gets in trouble. He spoke out for his men to protect his men and loses his command. This is what happens when military leaders speak out the truth and let their um, commander-in-chief the president, President Donald Trump, know that he has a problem on his hands. That's not what happened. You had a U.S. naval commander that basically gave away special intelligence that China was looking for. Once China got a whiff that there was an aircraft carrier that had a COVID-19 outbreak they immediately moved their ships 
into areas to secure islands in the South China Sea. This was a huge uh, problem with security when it comes to military strategy. Because by the this wasn't just, you know, everybody looks at this as you need to look out for the men on the ship, of course. But this is also top security information because the enemy is looking for weak points. And if they can find an entire aircraft carrier that is infected with the coronavirus, they know that that aircraft carrier is out of commission and they can move without that aircraft carrier being able to respond. When they know that, then they know that they have an advantage. This was a military problem for the United States. So what happened was China has moved in. China's been doing this for a while. China has been disputing the Diaoyu Islands for a while with Japan. These are islands that are about 100, 150 miles northeast of Taiwan. These are in Taiwan, Taiwanese waters. But China claims Taiwan, so they say that those islands belong to them. Now, if they can get access to those islands, that means that they're now, uh, Taiwan is in between their islands and their country. And it makes a much better argument for them when they say that Taiwan belongs to them. And Taiwan has been in the news a lot lately. You have seen Taiwan when it comes to the United Nations Health Organization, WHO, World Health Organization, because the World Health Organization will not even mention the name of Taiwan. Did you see, if, if, you, if you can, there's this video online, it's actually kind of funny, where a news agency in Hong Kong is interviewing a representative from the WHO. They mentioned Taiwan, and the WHO representative was like, uh-huh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that question. It seems like I got a bad connection. Um, and she was like, no problem, I can repeat it. He's like, no need to repeat it, move on to the next question. Well, why do you wanna move on to the next question if you didn't hear the first question? Because he did hear the first question and he didn't even want to discuss Taiwan because Taiwan doesn't exist for the WHO. Taiwan needed information about the outbreak in China. They need it because they had flights coming back and forth. I mean, they're right there on China's border. If anybody needs to know about health concerns, safety issues with China, it's Taiwan. And the WHO gave them no information because they don't actually legally exist in the eyes of the UN or the WHO, and it's because of China. Now we see that the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations just did an official tweet recognizing Taiwan, trying to get them to be recognized, and this is a big no-no. The U.S. hasn't really done this before, and China's ticked. So this shows that there is these two great giants that are moving towards each other right now in a serious way. On top of that, China just built in 2013 because there was no real opposition from the United States. The United States had basically given over to China the status that, yeah, you're gonna be the next world's next superpower. We need to just accept it. That was the previous administration of the United States' stance on China. That, yeah, you know what, we're just going to welcome you into the community of being a world power. 
And when you go in and you make claims, now we can file paperwork with the United Nations, but nobody's really going to do anything because nobody wants to go to war with China and for very good reason. So what China did is they built artificial islands in the South China Sea, seven of them. Seven of them with about 2,000 acres. And in 2013, they began to move their military in that area. And these are really close to Brunei. And these islands are um, artificially set up. And I mean, you might think, how, well, how do you build artificial islands? Well, I, if you ever go to Hong Kong, that entire airport in Hong Kong is all built on land reclamation which is they find a, study, a steady island. Islands are basically land masses, right? That you can see out of the water, but they also exist in the water as well. That's why you have different elevations within the water itself. And so what they do is they find islands that you may not be able to see on the surface of the water, but they're just below the surface of the water. And it's very elementary. They just kind of move in sand and reclaim that land. And they did, seven islands moved in their military overnight. Lots of protests. China said, screw your protest. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. That's what I thought. You're not going to do a thing about it. Now they have gotten more aggressive and started to move into other areas. One of those areas is the Parcel Islands. These are about 200 miles from Vietnam and Hainan. There we are seeing the Vietnamese are a little bit more aggressive, but so are the Chinese. The Chinese just, just uh, a couple weeks ago, with their military boat rammed into a fishing boat to sink it. No internet. Did you hear about that in the news? Nobody's really talking about it, but because of this new threat, the U S has just moved in military ships to start protecting this area and to challenge the Chinese. The Chinese just announced that they chased out the United States destroyer ship. Whether that's true or not, we don't know. But this is coming to a head. I believe that we are already in the first stages of a cold war between China and the United States. The good news is, is that China financially is hurting. It's not good news for the Christians that I work together with or the church members or the people that I serve. I only say that that's good news in light of a possible Cold War. Because the less money that the Communist Party has to invest in nuclear weapons, the better, honestly. What we have seen... I mean, if you take the two, you look at the U.S. and China, basically the United States has roughly 6,500 nuclear weapons. Many of them have been retired. They're out of commission because of treaties that the U.S. was trying to abide by. But now it looks like those treaties might not no longer be really recognized. So the U.S. might increase those numbers. Not like they do need to increase those numbers. It's more of a, it, it's more of a measuring contest. You, it, you don't need 6,400 nuclear weapons in order to destroy the country of your enemy. That's enough to destroy the, the entire world. 
Uh, but what's unique about the United States is that they have a couple of delivery systems that are able to deliver the, these nuclear weapons and they've had them since the 1950s. You have the B-2 stealth bomber, you have the B-52 bomber. These were built in the 1950s. These are a little bit older, but they can still do their job. They're, they were made to fly for 100 years, so it's been pretty impressive that they've already been in operation for about 70 years. And they're still quite phenomenal aircraft. The U.S. also has a nuclear subfleet that they can use nuclear submarines in order to deliver a payload. Uh, there's also 400 intercontinental uh, nuclear silos. Uh, the U.S. has nuclear uh, capabilities in the Asian Pacific and islands that they've set up. Uh, we've seen this in Turkey. They also have uh, nuclear installations in Turkey as well as Europe. So in that way, China is, they know that there's a challenge there because they have only 280 nuclear warheads and none of them that we know of are really mated to a system. So they would have to be mated to a system. Uh, they have bombers and they have nuclear subs, but they've never actually carried nukes that we know of. Have they actually done it? I don't know, but here's the challenge with China. This is the question. This is the thing that we need to know. We know that the United States has nuclear weapons and we know the United States is the only country in the world to ever have used those nuclear weapons. But the United States has gone through several wars, even wars that people will argue that they didn't win and they never used those nuclear weapons. The United States did not use the nuclear weapons against Korea during the Korean War. Didn't use it against Vietnam during the Vietnamese war, war with Vietnam. Didn't use it in the Afghan War. Didn't use it in the Iraqi War. Didn't use the nuclear capabilities in these wars. We know that the U.S. at least in theory would not use nuclear weapons in a surprise attack. And there would be a grief and debate over the loss of life. Do we have that same grief over the loss of life with China? Sadly, no, we don't. We don't have it. And I know that because of the way the Chinese were treated during the coronavirus. They locked their own people in their homes, sealed their doors shut, welded them shut, with no way to get food, to die inside of their apartments. M Mao Zedong said in 1957, said, I'm not afraid of a nuclear war. We can lose millions of lives and still be okay. So there is a completely different feeling about the value of human life with the Communist Party. Always has been. One of the things that we see when it comes to China is that I don't think they would lose sleep over even killing not just other people, but their own citizens. I love China. 
I love the Chinese. I've been working there for years, but I've also, over the years, been able to understand a little bit about the value of human life with the Chinese policy or with the Chinese party. The Chinese party does not have a, an innate feeling of loss when people die. Excuse me. I had to sneeze. I got the China I got the communist cough. When we look at a possible war between China and the United States, I believe that it is a part of a spirit that comes from the enemy that wants to keep the Great Commission from going forward. The enemy has tried to use the government to persecute the church to stop the church. It hasn't worked. The enemy has used the Chinese government to burn and destroy the materials used to teach God's word. It didn't work and hasn't worked. Today, the Chinese government is being used to again tear down buildings, punish not just Christians, but anybody that would help Christians or work with Christians, rent property to Christians, but it hasn't worked. With this pandemic that has broken out around the world, I think one of the things that we have seen is that China does not value human life. And the enemy has used this pandemic as a way, I believe, to stop the gospel from spreading. And the Chinese house church has been so powerfully used by God that maybe as a last resort to keep them from fulfilling the Great Commission, He'll lead their nation into war. Continue to pray for China. Continue to pray for the Chinese people. And pray about this situation between China and the United States. That this does not lead to war. Because it would not be, a, this is not a war that you watch from a distance like with the war between the U.S. and Iraq. This is not a war that you can watch on TV in the morning and go to the mall in the afternoon. This is a war that would, that would impact everybody in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. Now, am I saying we're going to go to war? No. I'm just saying that I can see some very disturbing trends that we need to pray for as believers as Christians, for those of us that are focused on completing the Great Commission, this war, or a war like this, this battle, is a distraction. We need to keep our eyes on the prize, completing the Great Commission. Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless you. <laughs>